on my time, I can reclaim it. Reclaiming my time. The solution is with women. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. I say jump back, honey, jump back. You got to decide. Do you want to be Nat Turner or Ike Turner? You do not get to be both. Hi, I'm Uchachi. And I'm Aisha. And this is Inside the Pink, where we do a deep dive into the pink folds of the woman. Yes. So what are we exploring today? Well, first off, like, how are you? I am ecstatic. Okay. Because I think our first episode went off really well. Right. I, I just think we're building something really wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much to everybody that listened to our pilot yes. that really just like f- gave us feedback, yes. that just told us how much that episode touched them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Aisha or I even expected. We didn't. And we read and appreciated each and every tweet SoundCloud comment. So much love. So thank you so much. I hope that you all continue to listen to us. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, because that's what allows us to chart and to kind of like follow, you know, how people feel about the the show. Same Mm -hmm. thing with leaving us comments, the Instagram page, all of that. So, you know. Yeah, and it only really gets better from here, guys. It does. Oh, also, and yes, shout out to the men and the women. Like that, we, listen. Yes, we did not know our audience was going to be co-ed, but we love it. Yes, so, so men, please don't feel afraid to listen to this. Yes. Um, it, we are more than happy to give you insight into a world that I think sometimes you think you understand (laughs) but you know you realize when you get the information like i actually did not know that um we're just here to teach we're here to extend our knowledge and our love to y'all give you a little upper hand i know give you especially in this dating world it's you know just give you a little something to talk about over dinner on your first date but maybe i don't know about this subject not this subject (laughs) you well, you, oh, you know, it you depends. Know. You got to uh, read it. Probably not. Read it. Read it well. <laughs> so you ready to introduce the subject? Yeah. To so <clears throat> today. What we doing today? We're talking about blood. Blood? We are talking about blood. That red stuff? The uh, red stuff. Are you squeamish? <sighs> no. Actually, this is a weird thing. I'm, I'm squeamish of other bodily fluids, but not blood. Yes, me too. So I'm actually more bothered by spit. Me too. It makes me sick. Me too. It makes me disgusting. I gag. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, mm-hmm. blood really excites me. It does. It's it's like a beautiful, uh, deep, dark red color. I don't know. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I know this is weird, but you know, you know when you're watching a movie mm-hmm. and like somebody dies and then the blood flows from their body. Oh God, Uchachi. I think that's so cool. <laughs> This is the part where I don't go sign. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but okay. Let's let me yeah, let me explain a little bit. But like you know, the blood is flowing and it's just like it's like this deep dark color and it's while it's crazy that's happening. Let yes. me I have no interest in seeing this in real life. Right. But it's like the idea of like, wow, this person's really dying, like their life force is yeah. really flowing out of them. Yeah. And it is this deep, dark, thick color that mm-hmm. is really hard to replicate. Yeah. What do you think of? Obviously, you've, you've given us one horrific vision. <laughs> <laughs> what, what other associations does blood bring up for you? Um, well, I'm Catholic, so I think a lot about church. Mm-hmm. Um, think about like, uh, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, blood of the lamb. Yes. Um, I think about food. I think about how we should be eating our steaks. Mm. Not well done. <laughs> okay that's so <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that but i but i'm with you i i do see the, the religious association mm-hmm. um i think of this i think of shame and let me tell you mm-hmm. why not my personal shame no. but mm-hmm. one of my earliest uh experiences with menstruation i actually happened it was another girl at a pool party when i was like in the sixth grade and this girl either she she went on her cycle and maybe there was a pair of underwear that like had spotted and she'd like tucked them away and Mm. someone found them (gasps) and the story obviously is very blurry but i just remember the shame and just when we were young like nobody wanted to have an accident that was like the worst oh thing God, that yes. could happen or if you you know when you were you know sixth seventh eighth grade like your peer you were new to this whole menstruation blood thing and it was like 
feeling weird and am I a grown up? Am I not a grown up? And what if I have an accident? And what if I get caught off guard? And what about gym class? Like I those are some of my and like what do you do with like the underwear that gets messy? Yes. Oh, yes. So there's that. And then I also think about the word bloodshed and how that means two different things to men and women. Like if I say bloodshed as a woman, I think of shedding my own blood. Mm-hmm. But I also think about how that blood, the fact that it is shedding means I can give life. For men, bloodshed is like war, war. death, mm-hmm. and destruction. And it's just kind of interesting how just we both, uh, the, the sexes relate to blood differently and what that says about masculinity and femininity, kind of one being birth-centered and one being a little bit more death-centered. That actually speaks to the definitions of blood. So blood is off is obviously like the fluid that's in our body. It's the actual definition for lay people who do not work in medicine. Um, it's the fluid that circulates in the heart, the arteries, capillaries, and veins of a vertebrae animal carrying nour- nourishment and oxygen too, and bringing away waste products from all parts of the body. It's made up of red blood cells, plasma, which is the liquid, which is why our Um, blood looks the way it does and white blood cells blood is red Mm -hmm. because of heme which is the protein part of hemoglobin that binds to the red blood cells which binds to oxygen and iron Mm -hmm. so the presence of oxygen is what makes that color so there's no such thing as blue blood even though our veins look blue though i'm i've I've always been confused by that because basically the idea is that the blood as we see it is red because it's interacting with oxygen Mm -hmm. so what is it without oxygen like a dark purple oh it's a purplish mm-hmm. color it's like ah, almost that's even more fascinating so it's like me. really dark it's like a dark brown sometimes it turns to the purple if it's like a really deep purple you're probably suffering from like no oxygen to your blood wow yeah though i would love to see that yeah that seems really neat the reason our veins look blue is because it's a trick of the light it's uh, it's just literally our our like veins just reflecting into light and wavelengths. That's so interesting. Almost yeah. like the sky being blue. Mm-hmm. Oh, so look there's at that. like there's really because we talk about like blue blood, and mm-hmm. then like you know if you see pictures of like the veins and arteries, one is blue, one is red as it goes in and out of like the lungs and the heart, and it's really just for artistic purposes in order for you to figure out what which is a vein and which is an artery because in all honesty it's all blood they all look the same that's true that's a good point it all flows the same way just one (laughs) is a little darker than the other blood also describes temperament Mm -hmm. especially passionate ones yes it describes descent their lineage and it describes initiation Mm -hmm. um so if i say that's blood like that's my brother that's my my sister so the -hmm. interesting thing about that Mm -hmm. is that the definition said that it's also an informal way to describe a fellow black person. <laughs> I was like, okay. okay. I've actually heard it before, though. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's interesting. I don't know. That was in the dictionary? It was in the dictionary. With the urban dictionary? No, it wasn't like a dictionary. And I was just like, <laughs> That's this is interesting. interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about this. I would make it all the way to Webster's. Right. But I've, I've heard of that. Yeah, like, you know, the young blood. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, what's up, yeah. blood? Especially if you grew up in an area that has yes. a lot of bloods. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if you grew up in an area that has a significant amount of like gang activity, you're used to You've it. Heard that, yeah. But I was surprised to see it in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. And then we of course have our associations with menstruation. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. so we've a lot of us have been saying it wrong. We call it menstruation. Who says that? A lot of people menstruating. Who says that? A lot of people. Really? Okay, then let me. And it's menstruation. Menstru- menstruation, yeah. yeah. The you, we've moved the you, and I think that's colloquial, like dependent on like where you come from in the in the country and where you come from in the world. But um, that definition is the process of a woman discharging blood and other materials from the lining of the uterus at intervals of about one lunar month, which is about 28 to 30, 30. days, mm-hmm. from puberty until menopause, except during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that definition. Yeah, it's um, because there are all sorts of things that can happen. Dysmenorrhea, many, uh, I've, I've talked about this on the grapevine. I've, I went two years without um, uh, menstruating mm-hmm. uh, when during my dance days. I was too thin. Yeah, that that and then not only that but the fact that they use the word discharge oh yeah, i wasn't weird. crazy about that because yeah. i was like i think there's a better way to explain what happens to our bodies when we are discharge yeah and so i yeah, looked for a second definition mm-hmm. and that one said it is normal vaginal bleeding 
that occurs as a part of a woman's monthly cycle. Mm. And that every month your, your body prepares for pregnancy and that the menstrual blood is partly blood and partly tissue from inside the uterus. And yes. it passes out of the body through the vagina. That made me I feel like, a lot better. That's a lot better. And yeah. also, I think that use of the word discharge, it's so crazy how it's almost impossible to truly be a free thinker because the words you've been given to express your thoughts have been formed for you. Exactly. But even that term discharge that we use for a lot a lot of things. And a lot of negative so, things. A lot of negative things. Yeah. It's so toxic. And it's like it's your... All of these things that are coming, flowing out mm-hmm. of the vagina have a very important, play a very important role in um, our sexual health and our reproductive health. And to call it discharge is almost like you're getting rid of something toxic, something nasty, discharging, ex- ex- expelling that evil stuff exactly. from your body, which is probably what? how they're How we came up with that because yeah. there's the assumption that we are discharging something. Yeah. I mean, uh, Thomas Aquinas is a really famous Catholic philosopher and he felt that women were releasing blood and it was showing their um, inferiority to men mm-hmm. and then up until 1890 we didn't even have know the connection between um, men- menstruation and uh, ovulation and mm-hmm. so they thought that most doctors basically thought that women were just bleeding out hysteria and emotional <laughs> issues <laughs> which is that's why we have hysteria. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's absolutely. So it's really interesting um, because as we get into the history of of menstrual blood um, and our associations with blood, we see that we kind of did like a we we sort of flipped in our associations. So for the better part of human history, we did not understand paternity. <laughs> mm-hmm. We did not know exactly. We knew babies came out of women, but we didn't really know how we got how they got there. We didn't realize what part men played in it. Yeah, yeah you know. So um, even you know in New Jersey, the Lenni Lenape Indians, like until like the nineteen hundreds or even eighteen hundreds, the fathers in the children's lives were just the mothers brothers like there still wasn't this like concept of paternity but i say all that to say we did know that these women were bleeding Mm -hmm. and when you saw an animal bleed it meant that animal was dying but somehow these women could bleed but they weren't dying they were living and they were thriving and so of course to our ancestors that made them appear otherworldly and magical and not only were they bleeding but they were bleeding in harmony with the moon yes and when they stopped bleeding for nine months a baby came out afterwards (laughs) so the assumption was that okay this blood that comes out must somehow when it remains in there form life a child yeah and so different cultures had different theories maybe it was the light of the moon maybe it was a spirit of the ancestors but always the common denominator was this coagulation of this blood that these women are this this magical mystical sacred blood is is producing light and even adama means uh bloody clay red earth but it's the idea of uh blood and dust blood and Mm. earth and from that we get adam Mm. so so i say that to say in the early matriarchal societies and civilizations, blood was regarded as sacred, just as women were regarded as sacred. Right. It was associated with the magic of creation. It was associated with femininity. It was associated with immortality. And so there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of rituals that were done. Uh, so, for example, in ancient Mesopotamia, it was said that the great goddess made mankind out of clay, infused with her blood. It was said that Celtic kings became God by drinking the red mead of this like fairy goddess figure and that red mead was her blood in Taoism was said that if you know men slept with menstruating women they could sort of attain this sort of immortality and so we have all of these examples throughout history of sort of ascribing 
blood, this these sacred, magical, and, and immortal properties, and women were sort of the gatekeepers to that blood. So a lot of the rituals involve men finding ways to get that blood um, for themselves, and it's not until we sort of began to understand how babies are made, which ultimately came around the time of agriculture and husbandry. Mm -hmm. And then we start to see the sort of the onslaught of more patriarchal cultures and ultimately our Abrahamic uh, religious traditions that we have today where uh, blood begins to take on this, this dirty, impure connotation. But you still see in, for example, the taking of communion, you still see those early traditions of, of drinking the blood. So, for example, in Gnostic Christianity, there was this ritual of literally drinking a drink that did contain menstrual blood. It was a religious tradition, ultimately was outlawed and considered heresy. And women were like banned from like all you know Christian rights. Yeah. But you see those traditions surreptitiously hidden in today's tradition right. because communion... Can, you can say dates all the way back thousands and thousands of years to the drinking of blood, either real or symbolic, in hopes of attaining some sort of transcendence. So that is the interesting thing about um, Abrahamic uh, religions mm-hmm. and blood is that blood is still pure when it comes from a man. Child. It is not. It is <laughs> impure when it comes from animals and from women. And specifically. Um, out of our vaginas. <laughs> yes. Once it comes out of our vaginas, it becomes impure. But if it comes from a man, like if a man spills blood in war, if he spills blood in um, maybe getting hurt for something, or um, in Judaism, blood during circumcision is considered important in holy blood. Um, it's seen as a symbol of life in the beginning of Jewish um, life mm-hmm. and it's seen as a source of power mm-hmm. then we have on the other hand we see blood from women as polluting yes and that uh, menstruating women have to refrain from sex and touching anything pure basically either going to the temple or anything that's sort from seven to 14 days after cycle their cycle depending on how orthodox they are they're normally removed from general population and must go through some type of purification the period of in uncleanness is called nida or Nida. I'm not Jewish, so if I'm pronouncing it wrongly, I apologize. Women after childbirth have to wait 33 days. Um, this is so interesting. And they have to go through a ritual immersion of clen- of cleansing yeah. in order to be reintroduced into general population and society. And so men can also go through a purification, but it's by choice, unlike women who are forced to do this. Wow. Islam is kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, Muslims, before we pray, before you make this a lot, you have to make wudu, which is like an ablution a ritual, if you will. I don't know if ritual is the right word, but. It's a series of things you do to make sure you're clean, you know, before you go to prayer. And so women who are menstruating do not mix a lot mm-hmm. because the idea is you can't maintain your your, your purity, your clean, cleanliness. And the same thing with fasting during Ramadan. Yeah. I think what you find, I think what you find for women is that it's like, well, you know, I get a little break. <laughs> That's the thing. As, <laughs> but, and I think in, in Islam, particularly in a lot of cultures where... Um, like in Hindu, it it's it varies. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, I got a break, and other times we have to consider like you're literally just removing them from society, so yes. you can't even get through the things that they have to get through. Yes, because you do. Um, when you think them. about it, during Ramadan, look during Ramadan, right. the time when the when the period comes, it is like yeah, it's like <laughs> I get it. But when you think about why, it's exactly. like oh, this is actually really. It's funny because I know um, I was I realized that in Ramadan, uh, women who are they basically break during Ramadan mm-hmm. for the fast mm-hmm. and they get back to it when their cycle is over. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, do Christians do that? And I remember fasting during the time that Ramadan. It just so cold. I was I was uh, fasting at the same time that Ramadan was occurring, and my period came, and I was just like, do I have to fast anymore? <laughs> is there a no? Okay. <laughs> and everybody asks us like, no, no, girl, fast. <laughs> Oh man! Finish. I was like, right. damn. Um, <laughs> but as far as it, it sucked, I was just like, damn. I really could have used that break. Yeah. Um, 
But as far as Christianity is concerned, things are a little different because Jesus came and with Jesus as being the savior, as seen as the savior in Christianity, mm -hmm. his blood is sacrificial. And that's where a lot of the ideas of sacrifice and comes into. Mm -hmm. um, and so him dying on the cross, spilling his blood, um, going through the passion. So the blood spilled from the brow, from the sides, from the hands, from the feet, um, and cause him a living sacrifice. And he becomes that sacrifice that is utilized as opposed to us having to use um, animals for sacrifice mm -hmm. um, and spilling impure blood, which is the animal blood. Yes. It's so interesting, though, how Christianity did adopt, you know, different... Uh, traditions if you will mm -hmm. and symbolism from spiritual traditions of past we'll say that and so just the incorporation of blood um, and especially the taking of communion and the and the fact that blood still remains so relevant even though we've now taken it out of the realm of the feminine and put it strictly in the realm of the of the masculine and purified it we still have manage to continue to incorporate blood into the spiritual tradition with Christianity. So, so that's, that's the thing. Uh, most, so as f outside of Catholicism, everybody else looks at the drinking of the wine as symbolism. But for Catholicism, when the bread and wine is consecrated, the belief is, is that on the altar, it has become blood and body and blood of Christ, like actual mm -hmm. flesh. And there have been accounts of miracles occurring where the mass is being said and the consecration is occurring and the body and the bread and blood uh, bread and wine actually become That's flesh and uh, blood i remind bring that it, it's so, <laughs> so if that's fascinating one of the the most the most i guess fascinating parts of uh catholicism for me mm -hmm. is the miracle of the stigmata mm -hmm. which is considered mysticism in the catholic church but there have been accounts of stigmata and it's basically the experience of jesus's passion so basically you are experiencing bleeding from the same wounds that Jesus had. Mm. There's no indication of where this bleeding is coming from or how it's occurring. So it's considered a miracle. You do, uh, from what I've heard, you do go through pain, mm -hmm. but it's wanted pain. Mm. So it's bleeding hands, feet, brow, and side. And while both men and women can be stigmatics, mm -hmm. women experience it far more. So the wow. of only of the 62, wow. or it's either 26 or six, 26 Saints who experienced stigmata, only mm -hmm. two were men. And the reason they say this is because you have to be one with Jesus. You have to be able to really empathize and experience Jesus's pain. Mm. And who better to empathize yes. than women? Who literally have cycles of pain and then, of course, give birth. So they experience it. And all the studies that they've done on it, they've tried to figure out if that these are being self-inflicted right. and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And well, Of course. Right. And <laughs> it's not there. Or there maybe it's like a disease. They found that it's not a disease for the people that have gone through it. It's not self-inflicted the wounds don't fester they're also like they some of them actually emit a perfume smell it's a crazy it's i've never seen it but i know for a fact that there was a couple years a woman in mexico who was a stigmata um Oh my it's scary as hell when you think about it and yes. it's something that I think that they said it's a miracle that you have to kind of like be open to mm -hmm. and I remember the first time I ever heard about it I think I was like 10 years old and I was just like um, God if there's ever a miracle that you don't need to give me it's that one <laughs> like I'm good <laughs> it's okay I don't need that miracle I and then, you know, as far as to kind of close off on Christianity, mm -hmm. the woman with the issue of blood, which is a really popular uh, Bible story. And it talks about how like there's this one. And it's supposed to be a story of faith. Mm -hmm. and this woman sees Jesus. She's been suffering from hemorrhaging and bleeding for the past 12 years. And she sees Jesus, but she can't. She's trying to reach him, but she can't. So she just touches the hem of his cloth. Where we mm -hmm. get, you know, we can only touch the hem. Yes, that's where we get it from. And she touches him. She's healed, and Jesus feels power comes out of him. And everybody's like, and he's like, "Who touched me?" And everybody's like, "It's crowded." Oh yeah, that's yes. And then she says, "You know, it's me that touched you." And he's he's like, "Go, daughter of of uh, Jerusalem, you've been." you've been healed mm -hmm. and your sins have been forgiven and the thing about that was that jesus was a revolutionary in the sense that he allowed any and everybody to come near him mm -hmm. and the fact that this woman with an issue of blood in a culture where she was considered impure and was probably ostracized for the fact that she could that she was bleeding like this mm -hmm. probably was suffering from a fistula um when mm -hmm. you look back at it i'm using layman terms so please don't be offended you know mm -hmm. all my doctors out there <laughs> but basically it's like a tear that happens it's an unhealed uh wound that occurs between 
uh, the anus, anus yeah. and the vagina for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And it, unhealed, it can cause bleeding. It can cause a lot of like pain. leakage and pain. Yes. Um, a lot of women in developing countries experiencing this after childbirth and stuff like that. And um, even here, because even here, our maternal care is uh, terrible. It's really, it's, we are it's terrible. We are at the bottom of the list. It's really yes. bad. But yeah, yeah. so, I, you know, as I got older, I kind of realized that she might have been suffering from a fistula. And this woman who, so she probably smelled. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was like, no, like, you deserve this healing. And that is something that, um, while we talk about her faith, this also sticks out about like why Jesus, why Jesus was so special and the fact mm-hmm. that he allowed this bleeding woman who is supposed to be not even near the crowds touch him mm. and then commend her for yes. the faith. Yeah, I'm thinking like two things when you tell that story. I've actually I've, I've heard this story before. It's actually a beautiful story, but I'm thinking about two things. One, the ostracization of bleeding mm-hmm. women. And on a certain level, if you think of the roots of, by the way, the word taboo literally means menstruate in Polynesian yes, culture. Yes, it does. <laughs> Just Which crazy. Is insane. If you need any other explanation of how we view vaginal bleeding, tab, literally taboo. But. I'm thinking about how men and and I think maybe throughout millennia didn't understand, first of all, menstrual bleeding. And to a certain extent, we still don't. Doctors, scientists still haven't exactly settled on a reason of understanding why we have the reproductive system that we do. So there's still a lot of mysteries that surround menstrual bleeding. But nonetheless, things that people don't understand, they tend to fear. And things that people fear, they tend to want to control. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. But also there are probably some practical uh, considerations. If you think about like early nomadic cultures, well, they did not have access to fabric the way we do or skin hides that weren't plentiful. So if the woman was bleeding and this is a nomadic culture, it did actually present logistical issues, (laughs) Um, particularly if there's a limited drinking supply. So they kind of had to quarantine those women but in doing so, that created this sort of um, something called the red tent sometimes. But that's which is sisterhood. One of my favorite books. Yeah, the the red tent by I think her name is Anita Diamond. And then, of course, there is that phenomena of women sinking uh, up together, which is a very real phenomena. Mm-hmm. But it created this sisterhood when women were going off to bleed together. Yeah. That was a feminine space. Men weren't coming there. Weren't allowed and to come they in, yeah. could exchange feminine wisdom. They could exchange stories and they could bond together. So in some ways, women have historically probably been um, ostracized for bleeding but there were also hidden advantages they turned it into an advantage because it was a time of rest yeah um if you're nomadic you're probably also doing a lot of work as far as like uh taking care of like animals Mm -hmm. and moving things and stuff of the sort and you probably have a lot of uh, you probably have several children that you're running after and this Mm -hmm. is an opportunity to not have to deal with that Mm -hmm. um which today i still think there are a lot of traditions that say um is it uh i think it might be taoism where they sort of chart a woman's cycle in terms of energy and sort of your lowest in energy when you it's said when you were bleeding and i would agree so scientifically (laughs) the two days before your your um cycle starts Mm -hmm. you are at your lowest energy that is interesting because that's when i want to eat everything yeah you find it very and then into your cycle as your cycle starts you find it that's when you find it the most difficult to yes and then i think around the third or fourth day is when Mm -hmm. things begin to pick up again for you but our system which is exactly what i feel by the third day it's a nuisance but i feel great Mm -hmm. but our society is not really our society is built to kind of like put a tampon and keep going about your life there's no space for honoring the cycles Mm-mm. that women are experiencing the, the the releasing of blood is just one part it's mm-hmm. an entire cycle oh it's an entire thing so and we really <laughs> are because we are so uh disgusted by that bloodletting mm-hmm. we kind of yeah we've ignored it and yeah. we've like pushed it into a corner and hope that it goes away yeah you can. take medicine and <laughs> you you know you try to get on about your life and it's like literally in a capitalist society you can't call in sick cuz you have cramps but yeah. You know, I find that like even um, I I do work for myself, but I find that I even find myself like I just can't work as hard as I like I just I'm tired (laughs) because the focus is on I mean, not everybody experiences 
their periods in the same way mm-hmm. if you experience cramps or if you ex- like headache like there's so many different side effects and it's hard to it's hard to get out of bed it really is i don't think uh, to put your feet on the ground i mean like this is all there's the whole thing about like cold feet and cramps and like how if you touch cold feet or cold cold uh, ground it'll make your cramps worse and oh, there's, so <laughs> <many superstitions. laughs> there's so many superstitions so nonetheless do you want to take us more into the modern era because i know we, we wanted to get into blood donations yeah so like not only does blood come out of vaginas, mm-hmm. we give blood. And there is, so the Red Cross, the American Red Cross started during around World War II. And they realized, I think it was around World War One that they realized how necessary blood was on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And so Sylvia Tucker, a black woman, heard the call for uh, blood during World War Two. She went to go and uh, donate blood and was turned back because she was black. And she wrote a letter of protest to the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. The funny thing about all this was that during this time, Dr. Charles Drew, who was an African-American physician, surgeon, and medical researcher, um, he studied the field of blood transfusions and developed an, an improved technique for blood storage. He was a head physician at American Red Cross during that time. Mm. So you have this <laughs> black man who is running the entire American the Red IRA. Cross this as a head surgeon um, and improving the way that they are storing and giving blood. And they are turning away black people because they are saying that their blood needs to be segregated, despite the fact that scientists mm. have said that there's no difference between black and white blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until the 1970s that america was finally desegregated in blood to the 1970s 1970s no, the, i'm surprised the south finally agreed the southern states like arkansas and louisiana overturned um requirements of, desegreg- of segregation for blood it just goes to show how much racism and sexism because we were talking about earlier about how we treated women. I mean, we thought that if you, at a certain point, doctors felt that if you had sex with a menstruating woman, that's how venereal diseases like were being passed from women to men. Or that your penis would fall off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vagina dentata is real. This fear that yeah. you, which I could see a man uh, having sex and then coming out with a blood cover. I would, would yeah, like, you know what? Out a sure. little bit. I would think that my penis would fall off too if it came out bloody. I would be, yeah, would be freaking terrified. out. Yeah. I actually think that's where that, where that, um, that comes from. But, um, but nonetheless, it just goes to show how sexism and racism have so pervaded the medical field. And we right. always want to talk about like, oh, it's been proved. Fact, it's been proven by medicine as if these studies and these conclusions and the ways and our, and our practices are not influenced by the dominant culture and the fact that Western medicine is dominated by white men. One of the reasons that black women are so obsessed with cleanliness mm-hmm. is the fact that we were considered to be so much more dirty than black uh, white women mm-hmm. and how even our m- menstruation was considered uh, smellier mm-hmm. and un- far like it was it's already an uncle it's considered unclean com- like in general but we are considered even more unclean and how we were smellier yes. and how like didn't even uh, we weren't even allowed access to adequate sanitary ad- supplies, yeah, which adequate. still happens today exactly. in like women's prisons, which are disproportionately women of color. Mm-hmm. But one step further, Johnson and Johnson was putting in like a carcinogenic product in their shower to shower fresh powder that a lot of women were using. A lot of black women, um, yes. And primarily black, black women were using between their legs every single day, especially during that time of the month, because they grew up in that culture. Right. You want to smell fresh, you want to smell fresh, emphasizing this cleanliness. Meanwhile, it was literally causing ovarian. cervical, oh, was it ovarian cancer? Ovarian cancer or and cervical, cervical and, cancer. Yes, literally causing cancer. And it, and, and I think Johnson & Johnson knew, I'm trying to figure out what the... Um, ingredient was i'm gonna get it by the end of this podcast it was definitely in the talc of the um, was it the talc mm-hmm. yes because now you can get talc free powders yes. and johnson and johnson knew that that was carcinogenic and they knew that people who were buying that product and keeping that product alive was primarily women, women of color mm-hmm. and they did nothing for so long for many years and let me tell you one of the biggest arguments i had my with my own mother my mother used it for years and I, my mother's a physician. The, okay. Which speaks, <laughs> which speaks to how um, deep this is. I begged her, but she was so, and it wasn't just so much that she used the powder every day. It had to be that powder. Yeah. 
because she said it worked better and i and she it was stopped this, using it's it it's the perfume in it the, the, i think, other, you think so yeah because a lot of the other ones they don't have talk and they also said that the talk is what absorbs uh, the actual the, the odor odor yeah and it was and i'm sure she got that from my grandmother i mm-hmm. never did that but we had so many arguments and she only stopped when they stopped making it it's crazy and the thing is also in nigeria they use the powder as well Mm -hmm. because it's so hot so they use it to keep themselves cool yeah to keep themselves from sweating so it's on their arms sweat between your thighs sweat that's really annoying and when i think about the fact that it's being used in nigeria i can only imagine how many southern black women were using this that's where it originates yeah because it's like the heat down there is very similar to the one that's you know across the across the ocean and Thankfully, in America, we've been able to find out what this um, powder is doing, but they're still selling it across the seas in places that... No regulations. There's no regulations. There's no court orders. There's like, you know, nobody's going to take them to court about it. So they're still selling it to women of color. And not even to mention, because it's so easy for me to sit here and be like, yes, I didn't use that product that had talk, but yet we use tampons and... And I know the stuff that's probably in these tampons are not. I know every. I haven't. I haven't gone to. Is it the cup? Oh, the cup. the cup. I, the I haven't cup. done it yet because and 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 that's look. That's my own bias. I'm like, no. What if I'm? What if I bleed? I mean, literally that makes is, me terrified. That's like I'm a normal, salsa yeah. dancing. I'm like, <laughs> I just everybody is so afraid that it's. I haven't used it yet, and it's I like it. I just think about my nails. Like you know, I have like these long nails, and it's like I can only imagine like what's gonna happen when I have to put it up there. We're literally grossed out by our own blood. And is that, that not something? Is, and I th- and I consider myself to be so enlightened woke. and so woke. <laughs> and then I look at my tampon and I'm like, this is so fucking disgusting. It is. <laughs> and I can only imagine what it was like. Well, really, what it is like for women who don't have access to sa- sanitary supplies. Because you know what? They are expensive. They are. So a box of tampons. It's at like Target $11. Is the cheapest I have ever found is like eight something at Target or yes. Walmart for like a box of tampons and uh, and then for a big thing of pads that no name brand because i'm actually allergic to the adhesive on pads so i can't even use them if i wanted to mm-hmm. um wow. they are about like six so six, it's six still something for like 40 pads so it's not it's more economic it's but. not it's yeah it's more economic and it's not too bad but mm-hmm. like if you're like me who's allergic to it like Yes. You're not going to use that. You're going to use tampons or some other. And a Diva Cup, while you can reuse it over and over again, it's still pretty expensive. It's like about $30, I think. It's it's the pink tax. It's yeah. the fact that it's actually more expensive to be a woman. Exactly. Yeah. So I know we wanted to talk about a bit what blood means to us. What does blood mean to me? I mean, I mean, it's a life force. It's a life. Like you, when you lose blood... So we have this history of uh, bloodletting, mm-hmm. which is what essentially killed George Washington and a few other people. Because what? yeah, because their idea was that That's there was too much bad blood. That. Yeah, and so the best way to deal with illness was mm-hmm. to remove the blood. And this goes back to I think Socrates and the humors and yes, yes, thinking yes. that like you know if you have one too much of one then you have to remove it and blood use would tend to be that option because it was the most yes. visible yep, yep um so they would wasn't that by the way done in barbershops like that's barbershops, the reason yep. why the red the mm-hmm. red and blue because barbers style. were the first like essentially a part that like the first doctors um so they would bleed out people and they bled out uh george washington and he died two days later because I, I think they did like a third of his blood of his which they basically they killed him yeah so <laughs> yes. and it was because they thought that that would like you know that would he- that would heal him so mm-hmm. we have this history that has told us that um when you release too much blood it can kill you yes but here we are as women and we do this every month mm-hmm. and then we do this during childbirth mm-hmm. and we survive yes and i always say that childbirth is a foot having your foot on the threshold of life and death yep. um and because you it doesn't matter how advanced you are in medicine you never know if you're staying or coming it's still the most dangerous it's the most thing dangerous. Mm-hmm. that human beings go through people don't realize that it and that's because we've diminished how difficult it is mm-hmm. because we've diminished i think the woman's role 
and her body exactly. we've completely diminished like what it means to have to bring a life into the world mm-hmm. um and it's not until you see it that you really are, are are reminded how easy everything can end yes it takes the one wrong turn or one wrong tear or mm. like you know i mean and for and especially for women of color i don't have children i am partially terrified uh and i've always told my mother i want to make sure that i have a child while she's still practicing and have that baby at hospital while she's on staff because i need someone to advocate for me because i'm terrified at the, the care they give women of color i don't even it doesn't even matter who you are in a hospital like i don't and that may be that that may be even better Midwives have far better statistics when it comes to maternity and mortality rates. So I don't want to step foot into a hospital if I can help it. If you can help it, right. (laughs) If I can help it, I don't. Scary. It's scary. And it should be scary because you, I think you said that right, you're literally at the threshold of life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, and it should be, it should put a little fear. You are bringing a life in, but But, that life can also snuff yours. And that's, you know, and that's just kind of like, that is the circle of life, you know, as the Lion King comes out next year. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That actually is a good segue um, because what I was going to say is this idea of, of childbirth i'm sure we're gonna get more into that in a future episode Mm -hmm. but the the idea that for the better part of human history that was really dangerous and it really couldn't you didn't know if you were going to die and so there are some evolutionary anthropologists uh and evolutionary biologists that believe (laughs) they're so fun (laughs) yes this is not to get good um that believe that the that our entire uh, experience as human beings, particularly women, is defined by the fact that we have menstruation versus estrus. So mm-hmm. it's said that the species from which we evolved actually had estrus, which basically if you see a dog in heat, that's estrus. And it means you're basically at the mercy of your instincts. So when you are in heat, you have sex and it's indiscriminate sex. But the issue was as we evolved to be upright and that birth canal narrowed, these women and our and our heads were getting bigger Mm because the brain was getting bigger these uh females i should say they weren't technically human beings but they were dying and so they say that mitochondrial eve you know what made her different was that she had menstruation menstruation meant that you could have sex or not have sex at any given time and your ovulation was concealed and what that did was give women free will so we are like one of the few uh, fem- women are one of the few female primates that actually really have free will. And sex for? Be- pleasure. For pleasure, for pleasure, but also the decision to, to say, do so. who do I want to? And then at that point, the decision may have been, okay, who's worth dying for? <laughs> you know, possibly dying. Or who could help me and reduce my chances Jesus of not dying and Absolutely. help me take care um, because even though they didn't quite understand, early women didn't quite understand semen, they did probably make a connection to their interaction with certain men. And there were these loose kind of tribal formations where men were helping. And, you know, I'm sure that women figured it out. They far did far before, before men, the men did, did because they saw that these babies they were giving birth to looked like somebody. a lot like the people. <laughs> They knew, and they lived in these tight communal. So I mean, it's it's it, this <laughs> a strong sure chance. That's also out. very But funny. the fact that um, <laughs> men write our history is the reason that yes, they were Absolutely. so late in the game. Late in the game, but um, you know, women are cunning. Um, but menstruation is what I, so I think of free will because menstruation is literally the reason why we have free will. And you can look mm-hmm. at in sexual agency and the, the choice to have or not have sex, veto power over sex is what makes us the limit. Uh, sex because we're going to decide if it's happening and you can argue that patriarchy is the means of figuring out how to reverse woman's veto power over sex and and control over her body by any means necessary so that period thing is more than biological oh, it's far more than <laughs> it's real it's a political it's political and it's a way to like you said it's a way to control um mm-hmm. what men have feared for so long absolutely and i do think a lot of the shame that you know how we project our darkness onto others Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the shame that our masculine dominant society experiences around blood comes from fear and unknowing and the fact that there is an aspect 
even to women who experience it, there is a magical aspect to it. The fact that we do this bad boy every 28 days, the fact that women who don't live in cities, who live out more rural areas, mm-hmm. literally often sink with the moon. The fact that you could be living in with five women and in two months, all of y'all are on the same. It is magical. Even They talk about like... Uh, pregnancy by proxy mm-hmm. or like men when you're pregnant and you experience oh, yeah, the, pain. th- the pains and yeah. stuff like that or even I've, no, I've there's been studies about how like men even it, their wives as they go or like their significant other uh if they experience a period they also experience it as well like they experience the pains as well too so i mean a lot of the great myths suggested that there was this you know great goddess who sort of mm. gives birth to the universe and it's seen that women are sort of the miniature versions of her and they don't give birth to the universe but their blood does have manifesting powers and they definitely give birth to other human beings um it's even said that egyptian pharaohs you know become divine by ingesting um the blood of isis um Mm. so there's you know and even when i think about you know jesus and and how in christianity we, we we associate blood with sacrifice women sacrifice to bring to carry on humanity and we every we have to have <laughs> this menstruation because if we don't that means that we may not be you know able to give life it's literally a sacrifice you know so i think of i almost think of blood like as the great divide between men and women like the fact that we relate to blood so differently and experience blood so differently is one of those gaps that really separates the experiences of being, mm-hmm. you know, of being man or a woman. Yep, and yeah. I, I think that it's time to definitely shift our thought yeah. process as far as blood is concerned, especially coming from women, mm-hmm. less impure and more of a miracle. Um, it's, mir- it's uh, thank you. That's so beautiful. So, it's it's yeah, like, mir- miraculous, and it's it's magical, and it's it is sacred. It's time to definitely shift it because, and I think that one of the things was like when I was reading about the stigmata and how like most women are stigmatics mm-hmm. and it just made me think about like, no, we're miracles. Like this is exactly, Absolutely. and that's why we experience these things more. Yes. Or like when you talk about, when you hear about people who have seen uh, visions of Mother Mary mm-hmm. and um, she's bleeding blood, she's uh, crying blood. Yes, I, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the stigmata mm-hmm. and it's often um, Mary yes. that, it, that it's shedding tears of blood, of blood and yeah. basically as a way to uh ask to to ask us to come closer to her and to come closer to her son jesus christ mm-hmm. and so like things like that it's evident like how it's the strength that there's a reason why she's she's able to cry blood it's to strengthen her to strengthen yes. the women who go through these this this miracle of the stigmata it's the miracle of us as we go through our menstruation yeah and um we need to look at it as a miracle as opposed to this uh, this thought that we are shame. impure and yeah. shame and kind of shift our thought process and shift it not only for ourselves but for our children as they come along. Absolutely. I think we need to reclaim it also because as you say that I'm thinking about how often blood is used to ostracize women and mm-hmm. to not allow them into certain spaces. So like for example in the Catholic Church there's a time when you know women were prevented from is it ordination so because the idea that they would be impure. Women are still so while at that yeah, and then they then they removed it. They said that women, it's not that women aren't impure. It's just that because Jesus, so now what the the thought is, is that yes. because Jesus was a man, uh-huh. um, priests should why. be men because it's to, it's the direct connection. Interesting. Was there ever a time when the, because I, I read that there was a time when the blood was used as an excuse, like the fact that yeah, she I'm sure because they were, you know? they come from Judea. Christianity is direct uh, is direct descendant of Judaism. Yeah, so I'm sure that they carry that that into, same that same rabbinical type of, mm-hmm. yeah thought process. And then also just the jokes. You know, when you hear like, "Oh, a woman can never be president because when is the time of the month she would bomb us all." Like you hear the jokes, like, but she. <laughs> meanwhile, but here me- we are. <laughs> meanwhile, here we are. Exactly, guys. <laughs> um, but but still, this idea of how often we st- even in our our, our modern empowered you know, so-called empowered society, we're still in very subtle ways um, using blood to exclude women from power. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the re- And it's funny because most of the women who are in power are going through menopause. You know, Anyway, so, so do you want to do our our insider gratitude journal? Yeah, so what are we writing in our gratitude journal today? You know what? Let me just wrap it off here. Uh, I had a great time researching this as I had cramps. So I'm grateful for my period. And I really am, honestly, because it's like everything's working, everything's functioning. And 
and um, you know, true. and That's it's such a means. it's exactly <laughs> what it means. And when, and when it does happen, and it's not too painful, I I know that I've been taking care of my body, been exercising, eating well, and you know, so I'm actually as as uncomfortable and much of a nuisance it is. I'm also very grateful for that. So that'll be my gratitude journal this week. So for my gratitude journal, I'm going to say I'm very grateful for this Mac. Um, <laughs> my MacBook, my Apple MacBook, as oh. expensive as <laughs> equipment that I carry everywhere. Um, I bought it a couple of years ago. I want to say 2015 I bought my MacBook mm-hmm. and I was very anti-Apple and now I have everything Apple. Same. It's unfortunate. Um, yes. It's all for aesthetics. But um the reason, and it's not necessarily the equipment itself, but or like the the actual hard, you know, you know, it's more about the fact of what I do on it. Mm-hmm. Starting this journey of, I don't want to call myself a creative, but that's along the lines of where I am. And when I bought this Mac, my intention was to go back to grad school. And then when I didn't go back to grad school, I just kind of used it for just for fun. It was there. Watch movies, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, if a sibling needed it or if a friend needed it, it was there for them. And now it's like I've put so much use to it in the past two years. I just can't imagine living without it. It's so it. reliable. Mine so was life changing, too. And reliable. it's super reliable, basically. Um, <laughs> and this is not I'm not trying to give uh, Apple any type of credit because they have like, taken enough of my money. Right. But it is something that has allowed is a vehicle that has allowed me to do, to do so much so much work and kind of like expose things about me that I didn't know that I could do creatively um and so I'm I'm happy I spent the 2000 plus yeah <laughs> it was I actually literally write down I'm grateful for my laptop my I, I think of the same computer as you in my gratitude journal like on a daily basis and I protect it with my life like I'll I look if we get a fire I will leap out the window oh with yeah my no the Mac is coming <laughs> with me not nah, I am not even playing the Mac the things that cost true <laughs> I, I always leave all sorts of clothes and shoes and take this Mac I always put the stuff like so I, I always like put the stuff that are really expensive all together so that mm-hmm. way that if, oh, I that's have, smart. if i have to go or i can just grab it all and get up out of it because i'm not leaving my yes. MacBook. you heard it's it too here much. first well that was that was a fast episode that went by quickly it did yeah who would have thought that blood would do that yeah i guess i hope you learned some I, I hope you learned both men and women who are listening if the men you are still listening guys kudos for you hope you learned something differently and that you will think about uh blood and even the process of menstruation in a way that you didn't think of it today and you won't prior to today I mean, we always joke about running red lights, but you won't, um, even, it's not even just about sex, but so you won't shy away from the women in your life when they are yeah. um, going through their cycle and just kind of being more mindful of what that means for you and for them. Yes, that's actually, that's a profound point. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and with that, thank you guys for listening to this episode. You can find us on Inside the Pink Podcast on Instagram. And you can also email us, give us, you know, your thoughts on Inside the Pink Podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And with that, I am Aisha. And I'm Chachi. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.